The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. A reading from the Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hand the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus again came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength, and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. All right. If the kids are able, I would like you guys to come over here and stand with me over uh, by the window. All right? Nice flip phone. It's okay. All right. So, here's what I want to talk about today. Why is the church funny looking? (laughs) Now, this is something that you guys may have noticed but not paid attention to. Did you know that the space that we worship in is divided into three parts? Three. Three parts. There's this part that we're standing in, and you can see that it's different because that's carpet, and this is wood. And then, if you look up toward the front, the carpet ends, 
and wood starts again up on top of the stairs, all right? So this area that we're standing in right here is called the narthex, and that's a fancy word for porch. In the church, we use fancy words to describe perfectly average and normal things. So we say narthex, but what we mean is the porch or the entryway. This is the entryway. So sometimes we'll talk about, I left those bulletins sitting in the narthex, and that means go over here to the entryway and grab one of those things that you need for the service, okay? So let's walk together. We're gonna walk over into the carpeted area, and the carpeted area is called the nave. The nave, this is the nave that we're walking in now. Now, the word nave means uh, the middle of a boat. If you've ever been in a really, really big church, they have rafters that go way up into the air and they arch over the top of it and it looks kind of like you're in the bottom of a boat looking down. So they called this the boat or this is the middle, the middle of the church. This whole area that's carpeted where all of our pews and our seats are, this is called the nave of the church. This is the middle of the church, the place where we do all of our worship. Now, if you guys walk with me a little bit farther, we're gonna come over here and stand next to the cross. This area up here is called the chancel, okay? And the word chancel is a word that means behind the screen, okay? In the, in, in the Middle Ages, in the early Middle Ages, churches would have a screen. Sometimes it was made out of wood, or sometimes it was made out of fabric, and it was a line that would go up the front, and it helped to keep people and small children, and back in those days, people would often bring their offerings to church, and the offerings that they had wasn't money, it was the stuff that they made. So if you raised goats, you would bring your goats to church, and then you would give it to the priest, and that was something to help the priest stay alive. You had food to eat for that week, right? And so you would be in church, and there would be goats wandering around, or chickens or something inside the church. You wouldn't want them running under the table and knocking things over, right? So they put up a screen to keep anything from running up and knocking things over, because that's, you know, there's lots of candles and expensive things that are up there. So this was called, the, this, this area, the chancel, is on the other side of the tree. Now, I want us to put our thinking caps on. We have our thinking caps on? Put our thinking caps on. There we go. All right. Why do you think that right now we have the table sitting right in the middle and all of our chairs are round the table? It is a special thing. That's right. Um, maybe isn't that a little bit? Yes. Any other guesses? Uh huh. Jeremiah. Why do you think the table is in the middle and we're sitting all around it? Where does the table normally sit? It sits up here. This area is called the, the chancel. It sits on the other side of that screen, right? Now, we can all sort of sit, start walking back to our seats, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain something while we're walking, okay? Let's all start walking back to our seats. Good job. You guys did such a good job walking and following and paying attention. All right. Now, the chancel is where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the Gospel says that when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And in the temple where God's people used to worship God, there was also a big screen. And that big screen was there to keep people separated and safe from God's presence. And when Jesus died, when he descended into hell, when he conquered death 
and destroyed the power of the devil and rose to life again, that screen that separated us from God's presence was destroyed and it was torn in half. Because nothing separates us from God's presence. And so during Easter, where do we sit? All around the table. During Easter, the whole church is the chancel. So during Easter, it's almost like all of us are sitting up there. But here's the problem. That's a really small space, and we don't all fit up there. <laughs> so we moved it here. So this whole space is the chancel. All of us are sitting together right here, gathered around Jesus' table, because Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. That's the next thing that we say in our creed every single week, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was buried for three days, and that he rose from the dead according to the scripture, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that changes everything. It means that we're not separated from God anymore. It means that our sins can be forgiven. It means that death is destroyed and doesn't have any power over us anymore. It means that you and I can belong to each other and that you and I can belong to God because Jesus is alive. Because he really is alive. And St. Paul says that because he's alive, he's the first fruit of God's kingdom. What do you think that word means, first fruit? Who's got a guess? Tell me, do you have a guess? What's the first fruit? Is it going back to Adam and Eve? Not quite. Micah, do you have a guess? What's the first fruit? That's right. Yeah, when you plant something in the ground and it grows up, and you get the very first thing from that new life, that new crop, we take that new life, right? We take that first fruit. And St. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit of God's kingdom, that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruit of God's kingdom. Because Jesus is alive, Jesus not being dead, but being alive is the very first sign of something new that's happening in the world. And you and I are the rest of the fruit of God's kingdom. Every single one of us, when we are baptized into Jesus' death, and when we are raised again to walk with him in new and unending life, you and I become part of his creation, part of his kingdom. So this Sunday, we are sitting together all around his table because we remember that someday we will sit, all of us, all together around Jesus' table. All of us, from the very beginning until the very end of time, all of us will sit together with Jesus around his table. And so today we get to have our own kind of first fruit. A first fruit, a first glimpse of that promise that we're not alone, that we're not separated, but that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, we are alive too. We are alive in God because of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? Let's say our prayer together. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy upon us. Amen. Amen. Now, in the ancient world, the way that you greeted someone was extremely important. In fact, in, in, in the large portion of the world today, the way that you greet someone sets the stage for the kind of, uh, not just the kind of conversation or encounter that you're going to have, but it sets the stage for the kind of relationship that you're going to have. 
The way that you greet people is critically, critically important. Now, that's not usually true in our culture, although sometimes it would be. You wouldn't go into a, go- in, you know, into a, a job interview and sort of sit down in the chair and go, what's up? That would, right? That would not set the stage for the right kind of conversation and relationship, would it? And that's true in, in most of the world. So in Jesus's world, if you lived in the towns near where Jesus lived, a lot of the people in that area spoke Latin. And when they greeted each other on the street, they would say Ave, or they would say Salve, which means good health. It's a word that means health. Sometimes we might say that, right? We, but in, in our culture, we might say, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How are you today? Now, if you were in some of the other cities, you might speak Greek. And in Greek, they would say kare. And kare means joy. I hope that you're happy. That's the way that they would greet each other. But if you lived in Palestine, in the ancient world, you did a couple of other things. One, it was really important that you did the right gestures when you met somebody. So some people, you would bow to them when you saw them. Some people, you would hold your hand up. Or some, so sometimes you would, you would hold your hand together. Sometimes you would hold their hand and you would kiss their hand. Or sometimes you would kiss them on their cheek. Or sometimes you would kiss them on their forehead. All of those are ways that you would greet somebody. But when you greeted them, you would say the word peace. When you greeted somebody in Palestine, in Jerusalem, you would greet them and say, peace. Peace. When Jesus sits down with his disciples... At the Last Supper, he says to them, my peace, I give to you. He says to them, my peace, I leave with you. And then he says, not peace like the world gives. What does that mean? What does that mean, not peace like the world gives? What does the world's peace look like? I think usually when the world talks about peace, it's talking about a couple of things. One, it's talking about not feeling anxious, right? So it's sort of like, I, I wish you peace. And by peace, I mean, I hope that you experience calmness. I hope that you are freed from your anxieties. That's one way that we use peace when we, when we wish somebody else peace. The other way is, uh, I hope that you don't experience violence. That may be more common in, in the way that we wish peace sometimes these days, right? It's a, a hopefulness. I hope that in your life you experience less violence than you have so far. That's the kind of peace that the world gives. The world gives the hope that maybe you'll experience less anxiety, and I hope that maybe you'll experience less violence. That's the best that we can do. We can hope that you won't suffer as much as you have up to this point. When we say peace in the world... That's what we mean. But Jesus sits down with his disciples, inaugurates the new kingdom, gives to them a new meal, shows them what the cross is going to mean, promises them the hope of the resurrection. And when he does that, he says, I don't give you peace the way that the world gives you peace. My peace I give to you and my peace I leave with you. The peace that the world gives. Spurgeon does, has a fantastic sermon about the peace of the world. And if you, if you want to sit down and, and read that, it's, a, it, it's an absolutely fantastic piece. But he talks about the way that the world gives peace. It's just, 
it's complimentary. It's just a bunch of wishes. It's just when, when we give peace, what, what we mean is we, we, we give you good wishes. I'm sending, you know, sending thoughts and prayers at you, whatever it is that that means. They're just words. Even when they're sincere words, they're just words. But Jesus, after his resurrection, appears inside of a locked room with his disciples. And the first thing that he says to them is, peace be with you. The first thing that Jesus says when he meets his disciples is peace. He says those same words that he said to them when he left. Peace. Peace be with you. It's not just a greeting that he gives to them. It's not a hopeful wish. It's not dreams and possibilities. It's not thoughts and prayers. He gives them something real, something tangible. Because the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, Jesus, who is standing in their midst, has now conquered death and destroyed hell. And that means that you and I have peace. And the risen Lord who is standing in their midst, who has conquered death and destroyed hell, is standing there face to face sometimes with their unbelief. And because he is risen and he is alive, facing our unbelief, he can say to us, have peace, receive peace, become peace. And when he sends the disciples out into the world, when he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, when he sends them out into the world, he sends them out to proclaim his peace. When he sends them out, they go out carrying his peace because he's already given it to them. God's people, Jesus's disciples, carry his peace wherever they go. Because you and I, in the world we live in now, don't need more hollow words and empty promises. What we need is power. What we need is healing. What we need is change. What we need is to experience peace. The kind of peace that comes from God. The kind of peace that changes us. Not peace the way that the world gives, but God's peace. The kind of peace that comes from God, but not just from God, the kind of peace that is with God, because we have received the Holy Spirit, because you and I are proclaimers and agents of God's peace. Because God's peace means mercy. It means that you and I have been forgiven. Christ, having risen from the dead, has destroyed death and the one who has the power of death. Because Christ is risen from the dead, our sins are forgiven. And we experience God's mercy. But God's peace also means that we have been pardoned. That the reign of sin has been ended and that we and our participation in it has been erased. Our participation in sin has been erased. Because Jesus is alive, because he has destroyed death, because he has destroyed the devil, because he has given us new life, we now live in God's peace. And that means we have been restored. It means that the brokenness in us 
and the brokenness around us can be healed and is being healed because of God's presence in and through our lives. Because God gives us his peace and he doesn't give us peace the same way that the world gives us peace. Jesus has conquered death and hell and so you can be free. And if you are not free today, Jesus is here today offering you that freedom. You can be set free from sin and death today. You can be set free from slavery to sin and death today. But we also have received God's peace, and it means that God stands face to face with unbelief. And the truth is, maybe today we're not experiencing slavery to sin and death. We understand that we've been set free, but there is so much doubt and confusion and hurt in our lives and in our hearts and in our past that we don't even know what we're looking for when we come to the table to meet Jesus face to face. But just like in the gospel lesson that we read today, Jesus stands face to face with our brokenness, faith face to face with our faithlessness, and he proclaims peace. He stands there looking dead into our eyes and tells us that we are loved. You are free from sin. You are loved by God. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so that you and I can become signs of God's freedom, God's forgiveness, God's love. And to each and every one of us today, he says those same words again, peace be with you. He says to you today, peace, not words, but power and truth. Peace be with you. And so later on, when St. John writes his vision of heaven, and he writes the history of Jesus' saving work, he begins that story in the book of Revelation the same way that we would begin a hymn. And he recalls the passion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he declares that in Jesus Christ, every worldly power and every spiritual authority has been cast down, that hell no longer has power to keep God away from God's people. And he says... When Jesus meets him, the first thing that Jesus says to him in this vision is you have nothing to fear because I am the first, because I am the last, because I am the one who is alive. Once I was dead, but now I am alive again forevermore. And because Jesus is alive you and I can know God's peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment. And join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, 
and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.